Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the August edition of Untangling Transportation. Uh, my name is Ron Brooks. I am the founder and CEO of Accessible Avenue. Uh, I'm also an ACB member. Uh, and of course, this is a call that we host each month to talk about transportation. Uh, what a great topic. Before we jump into this month's call, I want to just uh, welcome folks. Um, first off, I just want to acknowledge the, uh, I want to acknowledge, acknowledge Travis Butler, who is our host from ACB tonight. Uh, thank you, Travis. I want to acknowledge um, Belinda, who is streaming for us on ACB Media. Uh, so, Belinda, thank you uh, for your efforts as well. Um, I want to, and I'm going to introduce our, our um, guest, uh, Ray Campbell, in just a minute. So I'll have more to say about Ray, but I appreciate his being here. And I want to acknowledge all of you uh, who are in the audience, whether you're here on the, the call with Zoom uh, or you're listening on ACB Media 6. We are really, really happy that you have taken the time, uh, as they say on um on every flight I think I've ever been on. We know that you have many choices uh, and we appreciate that you uh, chose us. So welcome to Untangling Transportation. So this month um, we are calling, uh, we titled this Taming the Transit in Your Town. And um, as, as we shared in the introduction and the promotional materials for this call, whether it's public transit, paratransit, uh, you know, any form of public transportation, those services for the most part are operated and provided at the local level, which means that being able to advocate uh, for transportation in your community uh, is almost always uh, something that has to happen locally. And so that means that all of us who are members of ACB, who are friends, who um, care about these issues, we have the ability um, to do this at the local level, but it also means we need to have the skills and we need to go in there and do it. So that's really what we want to talk about today. And um, what I want to do uh, real quick is just kind of lay out the call, you know, kind of the way we're going to approach this. Um, and then I want to jump in and set the stage. So I'll share some remarks to get us going. I'm then going to introduce our guest, uh, Ray Campbell. Um, and then I'm going to just, I'm going to take a little time to ask Ray a few questions um, based on his background and some of the things he's done. And then we're going to open it up to all of you all. Uh, and when we get to that point, uh, I will share uh, you know, some information about how we can do that efficiently. Um, we are trying a new format today. This is a 90 minute call. Uh, we, in the past, we've done an hour. There have been times when I felt like we were, had to rush um, I'm hoping that this time we'll be able to get to more conversation uh, so that we can get to more people's questions. My goal for this call, and you'll have to tell me if we get there, is that every single person who has a question and every person who is listening is able to walk away from this call with at least one piece of information that you can use in your community today or tomorrow because it's after closing to make transportation just a little bit better. That is my goal. Um, and I'm hoping that we're able to do that. So let me just set the stage a little bit. 
And what I'd like to do, and we do have somebody who's not on mute, if you can please. The meeting is being recorded. Um, so please mute. Thank you. Travis, if you could help with that. Um, so let me just set the stage and tell a little bit of my own story. Um, you know, I work in the transit industry and have done so for the last 29 years. Um, and that is not where I started. I was actually, um, I grew up in Indiana. I went to California to go to graduate school. And I was a member of an ACB chapter out in California in 1992. And I was feeling the pain of public transportation, the drivers who didn't call stops, uh, the, the, the buses that were often late, um, the detectable warning strips that weren't there, because this is back in the days when they weren't in all places yet. And I routinely was frustrated by public transportation. I was, I was often late because of it. I was always annoyed because of it. And my ACB chapter at the time, CCB, said, hey, we need somebody to go to this meeting that, that BART has, BART's the transit system there, and, and represent us. And I thought, ooh, I can go. I can get free cookies because they always give cookies at these things. They're government. They always give you cookies. I can get free cookies as a grad student, and I can complain and they have to listen. So, so I went to this meeting, and of course they did have free cookies because it's government, that's what they do. And I learned some things that I didn't know. I learned a lot about transportation, which I found to be fascinating. And I also learned that half the time, it seemed like the people at the agency, the staff for BART wanted to do the right things and they just didn't communicate very effectively. And they, they were, sometimes they were a little defensive and apologetic and, and the community, they weren't listening sometimes and they weren't, they were talking past each other. And I felt like there's a lot more in common than there is different. And if we could just get these folks talking and listening and maybe Find, you know, find the common ground, we could get somewhere. And what I found is that by, by doing that, by finding those common spaces, we were able to do some stuff and we actually got some things done. And then a position at BART came open in 1993 to work on key stations, which back in the day, BART rail stations and rail systems like BART had to improve um, key stations in their transit systems because the ADA was still kind of new at that point and they had a lot of issues that they had to clean up from the past and they needed someone to help with some of the planning on that and they needed somebody to help with the community uh, you know the community outreach and and some of those things and so they said hey how would you like to come work for us and since my graduate studies weren't really going anywhere and um, I needed money I thought hey why not so I got involved in the industry I fell in love with it, and the rest is history. Uh, I've been involved. I've worked for public agencies across the country. I've worked for private companies uh, that provide transportation. Uh, I started my own consulting business a couple of years ago to help agencies uh, improve their accessibility. Uh, and now I'm working with a company called Userve. I I'm actually still running my private company, but I'm also working with a company called Userve to bring on-demand paratransit to places because I think we've gotten to the point where we should have on-demand paratransit. So, but it all started with me as an advocate 
trying to get my needs as a customer met. And, and quite honestly, I believe that, that being a customer has helped me um, to understand things that a lot of transit professionals don't understand. And, and this is actually where I want to start to transition. I want to share what my experience about advocacy has taught, or I'm sorry, in the industry as a blind person has taught me. And then I want to introduce Ray. I've learned three key things about the relationship between transit and people that use it, i.e. those of us who are blind and have disabilities. First, I've learned, and I believe this to the bottom of my heart, that most people who work in transit care very deeply about the work that they do. They really, really want to do the right thing. And they very, very often have no idea how to do it. Um, they are balancing priorities that include our priorities, but also priorities of other people and other groups, many of whom don't agree with our priorities. They are working with limited budgets and constrained resources. And they are in a position of always having to make the least bad decision out of a bunch of bad options. And, and it's an unenviable task. At the same time, they don't understand the lived experience that we all have because they're not living it. They don't realize what it's like to sit in your house and wait for paratransit and, it, and it's not coming and you're thinking about the fact that you're probably going to be late. They don't realize how frustrating it is when the driver doesn't call the stop and you miss yours and have to walk backwards or try to figure out how to get home. They don't understand the frustration of always having to depend on somebody that's not you to get you where you have to go when everybody who's around you is able to do it easily, quickly, and conveniently because they're either able to do it in their own car or at a minimum, they're able to grab an app, push a few clicks on their phone and figure out when the bus is coming and how to buy a ticket. So, so, so I've learned all that and, and, I, and I, you know, that's a challenge. I've also learned that people in the disability community have a very clear understanding of what we go through, but we don't always have the clearest understanding of what transit agency personnel have to put up with and, and how, how hard their jobs, which are not highly paid, um, actually are. So one of the things that I've done in my career and in my industry and now as a consultant a big part of what I do is to try to bring those two sides to the, together to understand each other, because I think once they recognize that we're kind of all in this together, it's easier to have conversation. And then there's Ray Campbell. And, and I'm so excited to have Ray because Ray has been an advocate for, for transportation for as long as I've probably just about as long as I've been in the industry. And he'll tell his story. Um, I'm just going to give a quick introduction. Uh, I know he's from Wisconsin. You can hear it in his accent. Plus, he has that. He's always talking about those Packers, which we won't even go to. He's a longtime resident of the Chicago, Chicago area. And now he's moved down to the state capitol in Springfield, Illinois. Longtime council member, member of our board of directors, second vice president. Ray's kind of done it all. And he's a committed and passionate advocate. So I'm really, really excited to have him here because I want him to, to bring his story and, 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 and we'll kind of dig into that 
And then we're going to talk about how to be effective advocates. Um, and then we're going to talk to all of y'all and take your questions and talk about how we can help you all do that in your community. So, Ray, welcome. Hey, thanks, Ron. Great to be here. Great to be with um, everybody tonight. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you. And by, and by the way, they've 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 lowered the budgets at those meetings now. When I started going to pace board meetings, they actually had fried chicken and Italian beef sandwiches, and we all got to have some. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh that's pretty nice. So I'm thinking about uh, some bueno beef right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually moved here from Chicago, and we still miss the food. And Ray gets to live it. So, so Ray. Yes, sir. Let's dive in. Uh, let's just let's just kind of have some fun here. So, you know, most of us probably know you pretty well, or at least we've heard of you, and we've heard you on calls and all that good stuff. But but maybe you can just share a little bit about kind of your background and kind of what brought you to the place that you're in now in terms of what you're doing in the world, your family, and and what you're doing in Springfield. All right. Well, um, thanks, and um, I. Um... Uh, first of all, I don't do transportation advocacy as a career, although it felt like it at many times. <laughs> um, but um, uh, my name is uh, Ray Campbell, as Ron mentioned. I'm honored to be the second vice president of the American Council of the Blind. And I'm also the president of the Illinois Council of the Blind, as well as ACB Special Interest Affiliate uh, American Council of Blind Lions. Um, professionally, um, I work for United Airlines in their digital technology area as the senior accessibility analyst, making sure that our mobile app, our website, um, kiosks and other things are accessible to individuals with disabilities. I've been fortunate to work in a lot of different areas. Uh, I worked in independent living for about three years back in the early 2000s, a so center for independent living in uh, DuPage County up by Chicago. And um, I've also worked in assistive tech training for the Chicago Lighthouse. I uh, did that for about six years. And uh, so I've kind of been around the disability community and around the world of uh, blind and visually impaired people for a long time. I'm totally blind, have, have been a public transit and paratransit user for, for quite some time. Although down spring here in Springfield, I really haven't used a whole lot of it, uh, to be honest with you. I've actually been relying on rideshare more than anything here. But um, I uh, was born and raised actually in Rockford, Illinois, which is in the northern part of the state, right near the state line, uh, Wisconsin. And when I was growing up, the Bears stunk and the Packers were good. So that's why I followed the Packers. <laughs> uh, but anyway... Um, I uh, was graduated from North Central Technical College in uh, Wausau, Wisconsin, which is way, way, way up north where it gets very cold in the wintertime and you have to wait for buses in 10 to 15 below weather. And um, it, um, it was um, uh, once I uh, then I moved to the Chicago area and lived there for about 36 years, uh, you know, working in various positions and about a couple of years ago. Uh, my wife, who I met, by the way, doing transit advocacy, other advocacy work, um, she retired from her job, and uh, we had purchased a home in the Springfield area. Uh, we've been down here uh, enough, and we really liked it, and so we bought a home here, and um, a couple of years ago, um, I uh, she retired, and then once, or she retired a year ago, and then once I got clearance from United that I would be able to work remotely, why we started planning the move down here. 
Um, so it was, it was in the plans always to move to this area mm -hmm. and we really like it here. It's uh, a lower cost of living and a little bit slower paced, uh, but it's Springfield's a big enough city that it has uh, decent medical, decent transportation mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Awesome. Well, let's talk about it. So, you know, I think I met you probably when we were in Illinois back in the early 2000s and and I knew at that time you were doing some transit advocacy and we've talked a lot about it over the years. Mm -hmm. What what was there a moment or a point where you said I'm getting I'm doing some advocacy? What got you into your space of transit advocacy and and uh, you know what caused it? Actually, uh, actually, you and I met back in uh, the early 90s, I think, when uh, the ACB, I think you were still out in, either in Florida or Sanford in California, mm, I can't remember yeah. which. But um, anyway, what, well, what got me into transit advocacy was uh, back before ADA, we had Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. And under that uh, piece, piece of legislation, the, um, our, in our area, um, the paratransit service ran uh, DuPage County is a suburban County for those who that's where I lived and it's a suburban County. So it doesn't have the population density of a larger city. And, and at the time though, the dial -a ride service, as it was called at that time, it ran on Saturdays and Sundays. It ran all over the County. It was great. And then the ADA came in and ADA, as many of you know, said that paratransit, only had to run within three quarters of a mile of, an, of a regular fixed bus route because uh, it was designed to provide equal access to the system. Um, so what Pace decided to do, Pace was our suburban uh, bus system, was they said, well, we're going to cut back to the minimum. And we're like, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> so that's really what got me started in advocacy was I uh, got, um, I was involved with our Center for Independent Living. I became aware that there were plans being made to uh, really cut back our service. And I started going to community meetings. I started going to PACE board meetings. I started uh, going to, um, you know, getting involved and getting to know uh, folks from PACE and just kept kind of trying to, along with a lot of other people, telling the story of just how important it was that we had this transportation that, you know, here we've had this and now you're trying to take it away from us. And, and uh, how important it was to be able to get to work and get to the store and get to all the places that everybody, you know, can go in their, in their cars, um, you know, pretty, pretty easily. So um, that's what really got me into it. And we got through our work, uh, I and others got more and more people interested. We actually had drivers that we would put materials together. We actually had drivers that were willing to pass materials out and get more people involved. And um, we we fought with that. We fought with Pace for a couple of years, and it was also being driven by our regional transportation authority too. And so we had to go down to the RTA meetings down in the sit down in Chicago and you know plead our case. Um, and so we finally got um, got a, a resolution. It wasn't perfect, but in March of '94, they. Uh, said, well, we're going to grandfather anybody that's been on the system. Uh, you can have it, uh, you know, clear across the county, whatever, but you may have to pay a little higher fare. And so a lot of us, you know, well, we weren't totally happy with that. We were kind of like, well, at least we have something. And uh, this was 
that was uh, that was it was good. So that's what really got me into the advocacy world. The threat of losing the transportation that I had uh, and many others come to depend on. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. And you know, we certainly have seen in different parts of the country, and I think right now, you know, many of us have experienced, you know, during the course of the pandemic and and some of the challenges and coming out of the pandemic with yep. with driver shortages and and different things that are happening in the industry. It's been service hasn't been as good as we're used to, and and it has been more difficult. So, so your step in was based on literally. I have to do this because if I don't, I may not have a ride. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, yeah and I was, um, I'm blessed with good speaking skills and good writing skills. And it was really the executive director of our Center for Independent Living who kind of said to me, you know, we need you, we need, we need a good, strong voice like you to get involved with this because, yep. and I did. And of course, you know, my own personal situation and I, and I want to just quickly agree with something you said, Ron. I, you're exactly right. Most you start, and as I got to know people in within Pace and even within RTA, yeah, they wanted to do the right thing. They'd put a bus route on every corner if they could, but they can't do that. And you, and I like, and I agree with what you said too. They want to do the right thing. They're just not sure how to go about it sometimes. So definitely, the transit folks aren't bad people, guys. I mean, they they really aren't, and. It's just as you get to know them and you do your advocacy work, you're going to find that out, that they really are good. And, you know, they have a point of view, you have a point of view, and you have to learn to, to work with that. Yeah. And, and by the way, that is not, and we'll talk more about this, that is not an excuse for poor performance or for, for doing the wrong thing. And sometimes people do the wrong thing and, and they have to be called upon it. And I think one of the key jobs of an advocate is to be that adult in the room that says, no, 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. can't do that. Can't do that. We need you to, you know, and that's, that's a really important role that I think we play. So, so you've obviously, um, you've been involved in advocacy for, you know, 30 years plus. Yeah. So during that time, I'm sure you've had some amazing uh, challenges and some amazing successes. What, what would you say are some of your best successes and what did you learn from those experiences? Um, well, by far the biggest success that I had in my advocacy career was the founding of a service called Ride DuPage. Mm -hmm. And that started in late June of 2004. It was um, a service that would uh, use paratransit vehicles and taxi services, and it's still operating today, to provide uh, service uh, clear you know, across uh, DuPage County. It was at a sliding uh, scale type fare, as long as you had a sponsor to sponsor your rides. And so the community I lived in, Glen Ellen was one of the first uh, partners to get on board with that. Um, and I think what I learned, the biggest thing, the biggest thing I learned is something that you're going to have to work yourself through. And that is when you're working with the government, things don't move real fast. <laughs> and <laughs> we, we talked about Ride DuPage and stuff for uh, probably seven or eight years before it, was, mm. it went on the road. And there was one morning, and I know Karen remembers it, that we were at, uh, we had an organization called the Interagency Paratransit Coordinating Council that brought together uh, county officials and pay, transit folks and uh, consumers and just all sorts of folks to try to pull this together. 
And there was one morning I just laid into him. I said, this is taking way too long to get this done. Let's stop talking, stop the BS and let's get it done. And Mm -hmm. I, I had to learn that this, you know, sometimes things take time and it's just it, that that's going to be a frustrating thing that you're going to have to deal with. You're going to get told no a lot and yeah. you know that, but you, but don't accept no, uh, keep on working on it. And I don't mean to get political here, but ride DuPage was a big success. And that is, was in a County that at that time was very, very heavily Republican. And I only say that because there's, there's a belief and there is some truth to this that Republicans sometimes don't care about things like good public transportation and, and, and services for people with disabilities. But by far, Ride DuPage was my biggest success. Uh, I think the second six, big success for me was when I was actually called to go to meet the county board chairman in 2012, and he asked me to serve on the commuter rail citizens advisory council mm. representing our county. And what I, and I think that's it's a big, huge honor because that was somebody that had seen me doing my work as an advocate and said, you know, this is the person that I want to represent our county on that board. And yeah, it was just really a so if you do a good job in your advocacy, people are going to notice you and people are going to notice what you do and what you're capable of. And yep. um, you never know where opportunities may open from that, but uh, yeah, it just, uh, but definitely yeah, agree. it's really good. It's really good. But I think, and I think what I learned from, you know, that was, you, as I say, you never know who's watching you and you never know when the opportunities to, to come about. So always when you're doing your advocacy, whether you're going after people or whether you're commending them, be respectful, be, be, if you have to disagree, do it without being disagreeable. And, um, uh, that was, uh, that, that, that'll get, that'll get you a long way. I'd say, I'd say another lesson. I'm just listening to you describe that is that efforts, you know, when you make consistent effort over time, you eventually get results and it may take longer than you're willing. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, effort equals result. And you put in a lot of effort and you were acknowledged because of that effort. And I think that's a, a really great, I mean, that's not just a transit story. That's a story about advocacy and about life in general. So you got good it. Show. You got it. You got it. And I also think, too, that uh, be willing to partner with people. Um, With Ride DuPage, we worked with a whole lot of different people. We, you know, that uh, transit's one of these issues that a lot of groups can get together on. Um, uh, People with disabilities, senior citizens, um, uh, you know, people in minority communities uh, can can come together. And uh, sometimes we don't agree, but... um, you know, a lot of times we do. Now, it was interesting when I got to Metro, then I had to deal with the bike people. And that was interesting. <laughs> but yeah. I don't think we have time for that. <laughs> but. Pro- probably not. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll park <laughs> it in case it comes up. So, well, let's talk about the other side of the coin. And as I, re- we, we talk about, you know, disappointments or what I refer to as things that still need our attention. You know, what would you say have been the biggest challenges or things that, that you haven't gotten done yet? Um, that that have really, you know, been frust- pain points or frustrating points that you're still working on or that needed still needed work when you moved down to Springfield. 
And what have you learned from those lessons? Because we can learn from challenges as well as success. Yes, we can. And um, I think the biggest challenge that still, although I think they are starting to finally do it, but it took a long time. And what I'm, and the, the Regional Transportation Authority in the Chicago area was the entity that did all the paratransit certification. Mm-hmm. And I, I could never get it through their heads that they needed to use certified orientation and mobility mm-hmm. folks to do, if they're going to evaluate blind people as to whether or not we can use transit, they needed to use certified O&M people. And I told them that, and, and I was even told by RTA, we're not going to do that. You can say it all you want. We're not going to do that. We have our, yeah. our agency that we work with or our people that we work with. We have our travel trainers and you know, we're just not going to do that. Now, that seems to, they've, they've now started contracting, I think, with uh, an agency mm-hmm. uh, in the Chicago area. So that took a change in um, uh, leadership. But I think what I learned from that is that uh, you just got to keep putting it out there. No matter, how, no matter how many times they tell you to be quiet, you just got to keep putting it out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that as you you know so, as you continue to bring that up eventually you'll you may turn folks over onto enough folks to your side that um you're 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 going to get um things done but you will have people that will basically say we don't care what you say we're not doing it that way um and so that was a big challenge that um never got uh, done for a long time and finally finally seems to have, and maybe they did it just to get me off their back. I don't know, but at least they're doing it. <laughs> hey, sometimes, you know, whatever works, right? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> right. Well, that's that's why I always say about working for United. I started as a contractor and I kept telling everybody who listened that I wanted to get hired full time. And I did. And I was actually told, well, part of the reason is we were sick of telling you telling us how much you wanted to work full time. So we thought we better hire you. There you hey, go. It's the job done. That's right. Yep. Well, let me let me just kind of start to shift here as we kind of wrap up this part of the conversation and just move toward uh, applying this and maybe thinking about other folks here who are on the call. And we're going to hear questions later. But from your perspective as an experienced advocate in a local community, and and you know we know that transportation advocacy for the most part is a local and regional issue. That's where decisions get made. Um, you know, funds, I mean, some of the money comes from the federal government, some of the rules come from the federal government, but but where and when and how services are delivered, those are 100% local and regional decisions. So given that fact, from your perspective, what is what is something that that people on this call, individuals, can do in their community to move the dial on transportation that that affects them? Well, I think there's a number of things that people can do, but I think the first thing you need to do is um, learn about your transportation entity, um, how it's structured. Uh, does it have a board of directors? Is it a private uh, entity or something? Is it a nonprofit? Is it a, a, a you know, is it, it's, is it part of a regional authority like we were? Learn how your entity is structured. And I think one of the biggest ways that members and ACB chapters can have have good input is to figure out how how the entity involves citizens in the work that it does. 
Now, what I'm talking about there is the entity may have a citizen's advisory board. They may call it a citizen's advisory committee. They may have an ADA advisory committee, which I had the honor of chairing and vice chairing for PACE for a number of years. Um, Those committees are good things to get people from your chapters on and get people on who are well-spoken and who can, um, you know, you know, follow along with what the committee is doing. And you get more than free cookies at those things. Um, although the last few years, Pace wasn't giving us free cookies. But anyways, um, they, they gave us they gave us uh, pop and coffee and stuff like that. But anyway, um, get on those kind of advisory committees. Now, you don't have the power to make decisions. That's what the executive director and the board of directors, depending on how your entity is structured. But you're going, that's a place where number one, you're in the room with the decision makers and you can make sure Ron talked earlier about, they don't have the lived experience that we do. And it's important to get in there and don't be talking to the decision makers and help them understand how things they might be doing, the changes they might be considering making are going to affect you as a person who is blind or the community of people who are blind or visually impaired. Remember, especially if you're representing a chapter, you're not just representing you. You're representing a whole group of of folks. And so I think getting involved in advisory committees, um, going to the board meetings. Uh, If they have a board of directors meeting, there's oftentimes there's a public comment period, getting in there and making sure that you um, share your your thoughts, share with the the, the board of directors uh, about the... um, the uh, you know the, the state of, of transit in your area and what your concerns and you know good and bad what they are. Um, uh, I think uh, also um, I think the last thing I would say is uh, to uh, make sure that um, make sure you're communicating with members of Congress, your state legislature, and those kinds of folks because that's where a lot of the money comes from: the federal government, uh, the state government. That's where a lot of the money comes from to, to make um, to make it happen. And in some cases, depending on how your transit entity is structured, there may be a it may be a countywide entity or a citywide entity. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're communicating with the county board or county council or whatever it might be, or city council, those kinds of folks. So again, learning how things are structured. And making sure that the decision, you know, getting in, in with the decision makers as much as you can and making sure they know just how this affects you, because um, that's the truth. And I think the last thing I would say, I, I said it was the last thing earlier, but I lied. Uh, that is, um, if you're working on issues, find try to find other groups that are interested in transit uh, issues to partner with as much as you can, um, because that's going to do a couple of things. It's going to get more folks to the table and more support for what your concerns are, but you're also going to learn what some of the other communities' concerns are about uh, about uh, about transit and uh, those and those sorts of things. Um, so definitely, uh, definitely some ways, lots of ways that uh, ACV chapters and and yep. that can do it and. Tell your personal stories. You know, make sure that they know your personal stories, your members' personal stories, and just again how this affects you. 
So I want to just underscore a couple of things you said, because I think there was a lot of meat in there. And I want to I want to just bring out a couple of points um, that I think are really powerful. One is learning the landscape. Uh, because transit is local, <clears throat> there is no one size fits all cookie cutter model for how it gets done. Every community looks a little different. So taking the time to understand who makes decisions, whether they're appointed or elected, and if they're appointed, who appointed them, understanding who represents you, as in if you live in a city, is it your city council member that represents you on a transit board? Is it your mayor who represents you on a board? Understanding who those people are um, can be super helpful. Getting involved, um, both as a citizen um, and um, either as a citizen who just speaks at a meeting or makes a comment even in writing uh, or by email or online um, or serving on an advisory committee or on a board um, can be uh, places to get involved. And the other thing I wanted to emphasize that you said is you talked about telling your story. And I will tell you, the best way for an individual to help somebody else recognize lived experience is in the form of a story. Um, if, you've, if you've ever listened, and I'm sure many of us, maybe all of us have, to, uh, to presidential debates, which are painful to listen to because they always talk over each other and argue, but both sides tend to tell lots of stories and they, and they say the names of people. And I mean, all the, half of the time these feel a little bit fictional, but they, they, they give the name of a person, they point them out in the audience, and they say, this person is experiencing this. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do that is because the power of a story is, is huge. And if you can relay how transportation, when it's good, impacts the quality of your life, and how transportation, when it's not good, or when it's maybe being threatened to be taken away, how that impacts you, it becomes more personal. And I think that when you're in a chapter, then you're representing a group and then you've got to talk more in terms of bigger picture. I think those are powerful insights and those are things that that those are true, whether you're in Wichita or New York or Edmond, Alberta, Edmonton, Alberta or California, it doesn't matter. Um, I've got one final question. I want to talk about the ACB National Organization and I want to ask you a question because you're you're you know, you're a board member and an officer. So we have a transportation committee. Uh, I'm actually a member of that. And, and there are probably others on this call who are as well. You know, we develop occasionally some, you know, we have calls and we have programs and, and all of that. And we can help a little bit. But again, it's a local issue. So my question, Ray, to you is from your perspective as an officer and given your experience at the local level as an advocate, what is something that the ACB can do as, an, as a national organization to help local chapters and individuals at the local level improve their advocacy on transportation issues? What's something that maybe ACB can do, or maybe that ACB is already doing that we just haven't maybe talked about yet? I think one of the biggest things that ACB has done over the last few years, and I don't think we talk about it enough, is our pedestrian safety guide handbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're talking about more transit, like buses and trains and that, but 
in order to get on those buses and trains, you got to cross streets and making sure those streets are safe uh, mm-hmm. for us and um, that we're able to, to do that. I think, I think that pedestrian safety handbook is something that we need to really toot our horn about and really encourage uh, chapters and, um, you know, local you know, affiliates to use as they're doing, as they're doing their advocacy in their communities, because uh, I will tell you, um, I, one, um, uh, I didn't get into this, but one of the other things I was trying to do in Glen Ellen when I lived there was get some accessible signals put in. And one of the things when the pedestrian safety handbook came out, I referred our, our local engineers to it and they were just very, very impressed uh, that uh, the work that the research had gone into that. So that is one thing that we can definitely do. I think another thing we can do is uh, kind of help our uh, affiliates and chapters understand how transit funding works. Um, you know, what comes from the feds, what are some of the things that can come from the feds, what some of the things that, you know, can come, you know, in the state affiliates is to understand what comes from your state is, are there state matches required? Um, and all of, of those kinds of things, because that's, um, that's uh, a, a, a good thing. And I, I think, I think one of the things uh, that ACB has done a really good job of the last couple of years through the transportation committee has done some really good programming on just a whole variety of issues, including one that we don't talk about a lot, and that's rural transportation. And that's mm-hmm. a whole nother, we could spend another yep. hour and a half on it, but it's, yep. um, it, it has been, it's, those are the kinds of things I think, I think ACB has done some good things, uh, but I think we need to toot our horn a little bit more about it and make sure that, um, that, that, that folks know these things are out there and that they can use them to help them help uh, doing the work in their communities. Yeah, that's great. And, and I want to say that, you know, the, the, the issue of the, first off, the pedestrian access, the pedestrian safety handbook is a huge resource uh, and you know, th- this stuff is changing. So a lot has happened. Uh, we're starting to see based on some of the work that's being done in affiliates like New York and North Carolina, and I think Illinois to some degree, mm-hmm. we're starting to see state laws and, and judges decide that pedestrian, I'm sorry, that accessible pedestrian signals are required. These, these are things that should be in place in communities. And one of the biggest barriers that we as blind people face when trying to use public transportation is getting to and from the, from the transit stop, whether it's a station on a rail line or a bus stop. And a big part of that is, is having the infrastructure in our communities so that we're able to, to, to move around safely and with confidence. I remember and, you having to cross Roosevelt Road, Ron. Oh my goodness! Our area. Yeah, it was Every like day. it was like Donkey Kong, man. I'll tell you what. Uh, for those of you who are less than thirty, Donkey Kong was a video game. But anyway, I digress. So, so let me just—we're going to start to wrap this up. I do want to say that Accessible Avenue, the company that 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 I created, we've got some resources that we've created, and I'm going to put a link when we do the post mortem on this. Um, uh, on this episode, we'll put a link to a curriculum that we just uh, put up for rehab professionals. It's uh, through Mississippi State's uh, older uh, individuals who are blind technical advise uh, technical assistance center. Uh, it's a curriculum for uh, trans uh, for teaching 
people who are blind or visually impaired, and more specifically, people who work with the blind community, how to advocate for transit at the local level. And it talks about what are the different modes of public transportation? How are decisions made? How do you file complaints effectively? How do you get change? And what do you do when the complaint process doesn't work? Because sometimes complaining to your local transit agency doesn't get the results that you need it to get. And sometimes you've got to step it up and go to the next level. And so we'll drop a link. It's a free, uh, it's a free curriculum. It's a one hour, it's about an hour and 10 minute audio file. There's uh, a text file as well. It's all accessible. So you can check that out. And, and if you're needing CEC credits because you're in the profession, uh, you can get those as well. So we'll put that link out there because this is a skill just like anything else. And it has information uh, that, that can help you be an effective advocate. And again, the challenge with transit is a lot of these things are local. So for example, Ray talked about state funding for transportation. He's in Illinois. I'm in Arizona. There is no state funding for transportation, <laughs> at least not public transit. So, so it varies by state. Everything looks a little different. So we're going to open this up. First off, before I do it, Ray, thank you so much. Um, I know that you're going to stick around and help me with questions and comments Absolutely. and conversation. So here's how we're going to do it. I know that uh, Travis has already... Uh, played the uh, how to raise your hands thing. So we're not going to do that. But uh, what if you have a question? Transit advocacy more effective. And Recording I, and in progress. If we have time at the end, we'll get into those. This is really about how to advocate, how to improve the efforts in your community, and how you can be a part of that. What I'd like you to do is to, when you're called upon, is you unmute yourself, say your name, and this is important. Say your name and where you're from, because again, transit's local, and it makes it easier to to provide a good answer. Then just ask your question, and then Ray and or me. I uh, will take on your question and hopefully give you some value that you can use right now to make your situation just a little bit better. So that's kind of what we want to do. So we're going to open it up and invite people to raise their hands. And uh, Travis, I'll turn it over to you to call on people, if you would. All right. First up, we have Melody. Hello, Ron and Ray. Thank you so much. It's good to hear hey, from you. I am Hi. a member of the CODA Central Ohio Trans, uh, Transit Authority panel from Columbus, Ohio. I have taken one survey since the initial survey, and I'm a, currently a, an exclusive paratransit user. And I have noticed that paratransit service ser, um, services and um, fixed route services and how people with disabilities use them are still just left in the dust. I've had no response. What the comment section seems to want is positive feedback. There's not really an option for that I've seen anyway for um, writing conflicts mm -hmm. and things. And I did mention three paratransit drivers and it kind of just wasn't responded to. And also the incentive gift cards and surveys themselves have accessibility issues. So if we are on advisory committees, how mm -hmm. can we further get our transit 
agencies to hear us if we can't, if we don't have the option to be detailed in the surveys. Ray, do you want to start and then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll back clean up. Well, sure. Uh, I think, uh, Melody, I think, uh, first of all, I'm glad you're on that, uh, that, uh, the, that panel. I think it's important that, uh, that you're there and, and then that, um, you know, it's surveys are, <laughs> you, 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 I always kind of wonder sometimes when I do surveys is uh, what's what really happens to them? <laughs> Does anybody actually read them? So I, here's what I would tell you to do. First of all, um, if, if you're having and others are having accessibility problems with the survey, um, call, call out the agency on that and say, hey, how are you? Uh, I want to complete this survey. How are you going to help me get that done? Because I can't access this uh, survey with my um, technology, whatever that might be. And, um, you know, make them find a way to help you. I, I, I had this situation happen with um, our RTA and they, they sent out some COVID related surveys and I couldn't access them. So I called them up and I says, I basically got somebody to actually take me through it. And mm-hmm. so that, that was, and then, you know, that, that's a reasonable accommodation. You can ask for that. Um, I think also though, that um, uh, make sure that, um, you know, don't rely on just surveys. Um, if you've got issues, uh, first of all, if you've got any kind of, of places to put information in, um, you know, make sure you, it sounds like you're doing that and that's a good thing. But also um, try to follow up with them too. You know, contact, um, you know, you said you're on the committee, you know, go to the committee meeting, ask them, or, or even, if you're, even if people who are not on committees, these, these meetings are public meetings and you can go in a lot of most cases and you can go and you can say, hey, you know, I took the survey, you know, what, what's happening with that input? Where is that? What's, what's being done? Um, hold them accountable if you've brought up issues. I think. Now, if you mention specific drivers, you may not find out exactly what happens because that's personnel. They, they can't really tell you a lot. Uh, what you may get is the standard form response that says, we have addressed the issue with that particular person. And, um, you know, but that's all they can tell you. And that's just personnel loss and things like that and union rules and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, don't, make sure... Don't rely on just the survey. Make sure that you're uh, addressing your concerns. And again, like we said, you know, make sure you understand how it's governed and, you know, who, who else you may need to go to. You may need to go to your mayor or your, your city council or someone like that to say, hey, I've raised issues. They're not listening to me. And, uh, you know, keep, keep, keep their feet to the fire. Make sure they don't forget um, what your concerns are. So, so I want to underscore a couple things that Ray said that I, I agree with completely. Uh, one, to me, the key thing you said was that you're on an advisory committee. When you're on an advisory committee, and this is this can be any issue. This could be surveys that aren't accessible. It could be paratransit vehicles that are dirty. It could be bus stops that are that are that seem unsafe or that aren't correctly marked with uh, in a way that you can find them. When you're on a committee you have a forum. Use that forum. Yes. Use it. Bring the issue up. And when you bring it up, 
it's not just about saying that it's not working. It's about being very clear with what, what success looks like. So in the case of a survey, it's, I want a survey that is accessible for blind people to use and complete when it's online or on a, on a phone. Uh, when it's uh, a paratransit system, I want to know that my vehicle is going to be on time, at least, you know, reasonably 95% of the time or whatever. Defining what your expectation is. And then, as Ray pointed out, going back to that and asking and expecting for there to be answers to questions. And if they can't be answered in the meeting where you raise the issue, bring it up at the next meeting and continue to bring it up. And if there's no response, every one of these agencies is governed by a board of some sort. Those meetings are public. Raise those comments there because I wouldn't start there because it's adversarial, but if they're not answering the question at some point, you have to escalate. And I think using your power in the public, and if you're not on a committee, the meetings are public, as Ray said, you can go and raise those issues. There is almost always a public comment period. But again, make your public comments quick, make them clear, and be specific about what you need the agency to do. Yep. Next question. All right, Margie, you are next. Uh-oh. Now we know we're in trouble. <laughs> <clears throat> Hi, Margie Donovan, Folsom, California, Sacramento County Regional Transit. Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you, gentlemen. Very good presentation. Um, I am a very strong advocate in transit. And um, I have uh, two different questions. If not, I will pick one of them. <laughs> you know, I think as a community that we fail to do ourselves justice because we have a late ride or we're left on the bus for two or three hours and we go home and we complain to all of our blind friends or maybe our spouses, but we fail continuously to email or to call in our concerns to our transit agency. And how do we, I, I want to make a statement here. It is so important that we do that because I believe it's every three years, the Federal Transit Administration comes in and audits the records and they're allowed a certain percentage of complaints. And I would say more than 50% of those complaints never get logged because we don't do it. How do we empower our community to document complaints? And I also want to add to that. And compliments, very important compliments about great drivers. So, so that's my first question. Okay. And my second, go ahead. Yeah, let's, let's, uh, I ask everybody to do one question. So let, let's we'll keep rolling and hold on to that. And we'll, if we get time, we'll come back. Um, so, so I do want, I'm going to turn it over to Ray, but I want to clarify one thing. So you are correct. The federal government conducts what's called a triennial review. And by the way, at triennial reviews are only compliance reviews. They are focused on agency compliance with federal guidance. That's it. They, they are not reviews of service quality, and they are not reviews of how many complaints the agency got. Uh, that, is, that is not true. The only exception is if the complaints represent a pattern or practice that demonstrates Non potential non-compliance with federal law. So unfortunately, 
the federal review is really more of a checklist review that says, is the agency meeting the federal requirements that are tied to the to the receipt of federal money? So I would say that it's even more important to, to file those comments because they are not, if they're not filed, they're not seen. Yep. And, and I would say that that if an agency's not responding, your your best course of action is at the local level, unless it's a federal like ADA violation. Then you know, then that's a different thing, and that's more like a federal issue. But but yeah, it's it's unfortunately that the federal government does not regulate service quality at all. Uh, Ray, did you want to? Well, I'd like to just say a couple things about complaints. Margie, first of all, I absolutely agree with that. And I and I get really frustrated with people when people are you know, complaining to me about their service issues and stuff. And I say, well, have you complained? And, and, and their response that I often hear is, well, it doesn't do any good. Well, how do you know if you don't complain? Um, but and, and you, you need to um, do those uh, complaints. For those of you on advisory committees, by the way, I would also say one of the things you should be demanding or asking for at your meetings um, is reports on numbers of complaints that have been filed and what's what's happened with those. But the other thing about complaints, I know there's a big reason that people are afraid to file complaints, and that is retaliation. They absolutely, the drivers, they cannot retaliate against you. The dispatchers, they cannot retaliate against you. That can get them in some very, very serious trouble if they do it. And, um, you know, retaliation, yes, I know it's hard to prove, but um, it, it is so important to file those complaints. And as you said, Margie, those compliments too, when the drivers, yes. when they go above and beyond the call of duty and, they like that. And the other thing I would do, is, at least this is my opinion, I would always submit complaints in writing if you can possibly. A lot of times there's an email address for that that you can use to, to file those. I, um, I've, I've, I had many, many files of complaints that I <laughs> had to file in various things. Uh, and also learn how to file complaints. It may not be, you may have a situation, say you have a paratransit, but the service itself is provided by a a, con- a private contractor that contracts with the entity. Don't, probably best not to be calling the number that you normally call to schedule rides to file complaints. Uh, but every agency has to have a way to do that and uh, make sure you understand how that's done. And if you're on advisory committees and you're representing a constituency, you make sure they know how to file mm-hmm. complaints. So so just one quick thing, and I want to go to the next question. Uh, first off, what Ray said about where you file your complaints is important. Uh, the public agency, not the private contractor, and paratransit, two-thirds of the uh, paratransit systems in America are contracted out to third parties. That's how their services are provided. Never file a formal complaint with a contractor because they are not the ones who are legally responsible for your service. They are they are hired. That's sort of like that's sort of like complaining to the hostess of a restaurant about the fact that your steak wasn't cooked correctly. Make your complaint to management. That's the transit agency. That's who that's mm-hmm. who you should complain to. And I agree with doing it in writing. We have on the Accessible Avenue website a free resource, which is a complaint 
it, it's, it's basically a form that you can use that gives you all the cat the details that a transit agency typically needs for complaints uh, or for compliments. We have one for each. Check those out. They're on our website, and you can use those. Those are free. You can take them, download them, share them. There's no cost. We just put them there because agencies do better when the complaints have the information they need to investigate. Yeah. Next question. Hey, Ron, one more quick thing yeah. I want to say. Uh -huh. And that is everybody, people I will often hear say complaints do no good. Um, we had a particular call taker on our transit system. I think because of the complaints that we filed and maybe others, we got that man fired. So <laughs> uh, that that it does do good. You, you, you just have to keep at it. Remind me not to make Ray mad. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next is Renee. You may unmute. Oh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, my name is Renee Zellickson, and um, I'm sitting here with uh, my husband, Tom Jones, who um, also, um, uh, anyway, uh, we are in Chicago, and we are moving to a small town of 7,000 people in Mount Carmel in Illinois, which is at the southeast corner of the mm -hmm. state. Um, and my understanding is because um, my husband's going to be losing his paratransit, uh, and I was only on for seasonal, but my understanding, Ron, from you is that if um, we need paratransit services in another state uh, that um, has it, such as uh, my family lives in Huntsville, Alabama, and there they have paratransit, but the very extremely limited bus service. And um, my understanding from you is that we need to submit a letter um, to, to the state that we're going to go to about, uh, was it 128 days? Or 28 no, days? let me, yeah, let me just jump in because I think I know where you're trying to go to. First off, this isn't specifically about transit advocacy, but I'm going to take this question and we'll move on. The, the at paratransit eligibility, uh, the if a transit agency, if an agency in a community, whether it's Huntsville, Alabama, or Mount Carmel, Illinois, or wherever, if the agency offers public transportation, fixed route bus transportation or rail, they are required to operate paratransit. And if you have eligibility in a community, um, say Chicago, your eligibility is good when you're traveling in another community. You just have to contact the transit agency uh, a few days in advance, and you can have up to 21 days per calendar year uh, to use that service. But we're uh, losing that service. Yeah, my, my question is, we're losing the Chicago service because we're moving out of the area. Then you may have... Yeah. Once you move, you you'll have you you can carry some eligibility with you, uh, but once that eligibility expires after 21 days, then you need you're going to need to reestablish your eligibility. So your eligibility is good until it expires, but you're only guaranteed by law 21 days per year in any city that is not the city you're certified in. So if we need to go deeper than that, we'll have to take it offline. Um, yeah, that, I'll email you. Okay. Can I email you? Thank yeah, you. of course. Next question. Sharon, you are next. Uh, good evening. I'm Sharon Strakowski in Worcester, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And my question is that our paratransit is very minimalist as mm -hmm. far as the tack that they have taken. 
And I would like to figure out how I can actually see what governs them. And because mm -hmm. it hasn't changed in 30 years. <laughs> and I don't know how to get at that. And that's my question. Where would I find that? Ray, do you want to start with that? Sure. Or um, so, yeah. um, so, so first of all, Sharon, you need to find out the name of your local transit agency. Okay. Oh, I, well, I'm, I'm on their uh, advisory. Okay. Well, then you're actually in good shape then because you need to, what you need to be doing is, as Ron stated earlier, you've got a forum. And so you need to be, because that agency they up they are responsible for the paratransit they may not provide it directly but they're responsible for it and so you need to make sure that you um, use that forum that you have to say hey um there are some you know i have some concerns about the minimal you know basically a minimal uh service um and uh you know bring those bring those issues forward now but if, i would like to i would like to see it I'd like to read it ahead of time um, on my own. Um, <laughs> uh, I've, okay, I, I'm not quite sure. What, what do you want? Yeah, to let me. Read? Yeah, Rules? I think I, yeah. Go ahead, Ron. Yeah, go ahead, yeah that, that's, he's gone where I was going to go. I mean, it sounds like you want to read what the paratransit procedures are for your transit agency. Is that right? Right. I mean, I know basic things like we don't go beyond the three quarter mile. I'd just like to see what all they are predicated on because they're very different, for instance, from the MBTA. Right. Um, Again, which, you yeah. know, totally, yep. totally different. Transit's and, local. Well, exactly. Yeah. But so, I would just like to read what they're going by. <laughs> what they're going by is probably, prob if they're doing a minimal paratransit, they're probably going by the um, Americans with Disabilities Act. And it, I mean, it's it, and we can link uh, in this in the program notes. We can link provide a link to the actual reg. It is uh, forty nine CFR Part thirty seven, which I don't expect you to remember, which is why we'll link to it. Um, and the bottom line, if they're minimal, those are the minimum standards. That minimum, that's okay. what the law requires, requires at the federal okay. level. The yeah. agency you, probably, okay. yeah, the agency. The things that you would look at next would probably be the agency procedures, because then you can kind of match the two against each other. Um, and those those are the things that I would probably look at. And when I okay. when I'm hired as a consultant, usually where I start is what the agency publishes that is that is customer facing. So mm -hmm. I will ask an agency, give me links or documents um, that for everything that's customer facing. Uh, and then any questions I can't answer to my own satisfaction from those documents, then I'll start to ask follow-up questions. That's probably what I would do. Okay. Yeah. And where are your program notes? Uh, you mentioned we those put these up after the call. We put them out after the call. So, where? Uh, there. Where though? Uh, we typically put those out to all the lists where we publish, you know, where we invite people, and then we put them out on the Facebook ACB community. And oh, okay. th those are the main places. Um, and then if I have, I would start there. And if you're not seeing stuff, you can always contact us and we'll give contact information at the end. Okay. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Next question. Nikki, Nikki Keck, you are uh, next. Hi guys. Um, and this may eventually need to be taken offline, but I need serious help. Um, 
I moved from Florida to Pennsylvania. My husband and I were both blind. And um, when I moved here, I checked out everything. I knew that we were within three quarters of a mile of our bus route system. I knew the buses ran between such and such a time and such and such a time. I got registered and, and verified and eligible for paratransit. I thought I was in good shape. Call up paratransit to make a ride. And they tell me, and I have never seen this. I've been in other paratransit. I never mm -hmm. even, this in my wildest dreams. You can only go at the exact time that the bus goes there. So if your appointment is at nine o'clock and the bus goes mm -hmm. at 10.30 or 7.30 and 10.30, you got to go at 7.30. And if the bus don't come back till 12 noon or one o'clock, that's when you have to go back. And that just doesn't I mean, I don't know if their interpretation no. of the ADA. That, that's a very else. weird. And yeah. So let's take it offline. But just for my benefit, what city and what city are you in? Okay. I'm in Berks County, Pennsylvania. The The bus system is called BARDA and it's in Reading. Okay. And, uh, and I even checked the bus schedules. I know every other one I've gone to, it said mm -hmm. the buses ran from 830 to six. So to say paratransit, you can go anytime, any, you know, in that okay. area. Between yeah. eight thirty and six, yeah. and these people aren't doing that. And it's yeah, just we'll take that. Yeah, yeah. This is a very strange interpretation, but there are some caveats. So let's take this one. This is this is a pretty weedy question yes. um, because if you're if the system is considered if the route is considered a commuter route, it's under different rules. So this is one we probably yeah. want to take offline and just make sure. Okay. 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 Thank you. You mm -hmm. bet. All right, Gregory, you're up. You may unmute. Hello, my name is Gregory Hynode. I live in Danville, Illinois. Okay. And how, how, and or who creates advisory boards? How I determine if there's an advisory board here um, with a mass transit repair of the paratransit? Well, well, first of all, Greg, we need to get you involved with the Illinois Council of the Blind. But uh, anyway, um, and thanks for. Uh, reaching out. Um, what, what I would suggest you do is I would contact the, um, yeah, contact your your transit agency there and, you know, contact like your maybe public relations folks or that uh, they're just, you know, start by, you know, calling the number and basically, you know, whatever their main phone number is. And I would say, Hey, I'm interested in finding out, uh, do you have a citizens advisory committee or a citizen advisory board that govern, you know, for, um, for your agency and, um, it, you, you, they may not know the person that answers may not know, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, you, you just, you know, be persistent and say, you know, Hey, could I, could I speak to somebody in the executive director's office or the director's office? I, I you might use that as a generic term, but, you know, basically, if they say, well, I don't know, uh, then say, well, can you transfer me to the director's office so that I can ask that question? It's it's probably going to be under something like eventually you may get to um, external affairs, government affairs, something like that is maybe where the advisory committee. Uh, go. I'm just trying to think yeah. um, when I was dealing with PACE, uh, who the. I think there were external affairs people that we dealt with um, to help us with scheduling meetings and that kind of thing. 
So I just start calling and start asking. And um, you would know, there be a possibility there's no advisory board? Yes, there, yes, yeah. there will be. There yep. could be. Okay. That's yep. a very good. That's a very big possibility. <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing you can try is Google. I mean, honestly, yeah. just Google keywords uh, because minutes are usually published online. Um, and if you know, you may not find a page that says contact us, but you might find the fact that there's minutes, even if they're not accessible, you'll get you'll be able to tell that there's a group because there's minutes, there's names, and then you can go yep. from there. It's uh, it's every agency does it a little different. And yes, sometimes there are not advisory groups. There's no law that says they have to have one. Nope. So how, how would I start one? <laughs> uh, well, um, well, uh, how do you start one? Well, that's, uh, that's uh, another question. I'd say that um, I would say that um, you, uh, you Talk, talk to the transit agency and say, hey, I, I understand that um, you don't have uh, an, advi an advisory board, you know, a citizen's advisory board or an ADA advisory uh, committee uh, to say that you're interested in, in uh, starting one. They'd be more than happy to take your help with that. Okay. Um, but you're going to have to, you know, to get the word out to people. Uh, you can use the media. You can use, uh, you know, social media. You can use all sorts of, of things to um, to uh, do that, and um, and that, and uh, just kind of start uh, getting the word out. And uh, you know, I learned, find I learned one little thing. Yeah, it's what put a pain in it. It's a lot of times it's not what you know, it's who you know. Exactly. And yeah, I, I'm learning to network. So, so let me just jump on that because most of the transit agencies in downstate Illinois are 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 they all have boards. They, they may not all have advisory boards, but they all have boards. In most cases in downstate, the boards are appointed municipal officials. They are appointed by the mayors of the towns in the district uh, that, rep that the agency serves. So you have a mayor or a council member in your town who serves on the board of the transit district that is operating in Danville, Illinois. So if they don't have an advisory board, you could certainly start with your representative on their actual board, because they do have one that makes decisions for the agency. And you could say, hey, you guys would probably get a lot fewer complaints at the board level if there was an advisory committee that could help staff do a better job making decisions about service. Um, so I would probably look at that, especially in a small city uh, like like Danville, Illinois. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Yep. And uh, and uh, reach out to me through community at acb.org if you want to get involved with ICB. Uh, just send them email to community at acb.org and we can make that happen. Thank you. You bet. All, All right. Next, next we have uh, Myra. You may unmute. Hello. Um, I am in Amherst, Massachusetts. We have the Pioneer Valley Transit Authority, which includes. Springfield, which is the big city, and then um, further north where it's much more rural with a few small towns. Mm -hmm. And I'm on the Paratransit Riders Council. Yesterday at the meeting, we tried to talk to them again about instituting some kind of a complimentary ride share program. And I don't mean free, but I mean to complement what they do with the vans, mm -hmm. um, because on the other end of the state in Boston, they've had that going on for a long time. And uh, the the gentleman from the PVTA 
said that he had just been at a meeting. He had just been informed that it is absolutely not legal for them to use any vehicles that are in a public system that are not wheelchair accessible. And therefore, they can't do anything with a rideshare. And the only reason that the, P the MBTA in Boston was able to do it had to do with uh, a pilot. And that, I don't know if there is still officially a pilot. It's been going on for about three years, maybe four. So is this guy right? And if he isn't, how do I get the information to tell him what he doesn't know? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take Go this. ahead, Ron. He, take that one. <laughs> he, he's, he's not right. Uh, there are dozens of agencies doing programs that, that utilize some form of rideshare. And in fact, there have been transit agencies using taxi cabs since the 50s, yep. so as in the 1950s. So, so he's, not, he's, he's not correct. What he is correct about is a concept called equity, which is that service has to serve everybody, but it doesn't have to be done in the same vehicles. Uh, so no, he's not correct. What I would probably do is I would... I would probably work with the committee as a whole, and I would probably start to really raise this issue at the committee level and probably to the board. And I oh, would this was at the board yeah. meeting. Okay, yeah. right. And I would continue to raise the issue, and I would challenge them to prove that. And I would actually do some research. It's not this is easy to find online. And what you can kind of look for are all of the cities around the country, and there are many, that have programs that use either taxis and or rideshare services like Uber and Lyft and now Userve, uh, which is also in the on-demand rideshare space. There are dozens and dozens of agencies doing this today. Yep. That's so, what I thought. Yeah, but he yeah. just went to that meeting. He went. He was so definitive about it. He was so sure that he is not allowed to use any vehicles that are, you know. And I said, "Come on, they're all gas guzzlers. They get five miles to the gallon." Blah blah blah. You don't need, you know. He he admitted that sixty percent of the people don't even need wheelchair accessible so, vehicles, and he would love to do it, but he's been told he can't. I wouldn't. So, I would probably. The other thing I would probably do, and then we'll go to the next question, is I would okay. also probably ask him to produce minutes from that meeting that demonstrate his position. And I would do this through the committee. If you okay. have the support of the committee, I would have the committee make a motion uh, because it becomes part of a public record at that yeah. point. And I would stay on it. I would raise it every month. Every time okay. the committee meets, I'd raise the issue until there's a resolution. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. You bet. All right. You got about 10 minutes left with two oh, hands. My. Okay. We'll take those two and that's it. <laughs> That's it. All right, David, David Bouchard. Hello there. Uh, my name is David Bouchard, um, and I live in Portland, Oregon, uh, which is um, served by TriMet, uh, the mm -hmm. pretty bus and rail uh, system here. And um, my partner is on the call, but she's on a phone. I don't know if she'll want to uh, raise her hand or not, but, uh, she lives in Vancouver, Washington, right across the river. And so mm -hmm. we go back and forth and I'm in kind of in the unique position of having a lot of other, you know, connections to transit agencies, you know, where, you know, you can go, 
um, over a hundred miles in some directions. And I've been noticing a you know, decline in service. Uh, and I'm starting to get the satisfied enough uh, to really want to start advocating, uh, you know, to sort of hold them accountable. Uh, and working for TriMet, uh, the transit system being an employee, it's kind of hard to, you know, I've been... <laughs> I haven't done a lot of advocating as much there and learning some, you know, obviously this is more of a, a way to sort of advocate somewhere else. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I guess, you know, my question is, um, do you have any, any of you have any thoughts on sort of how to approach, I mean, these are really, really small, you know, agencies like, you know, the um, so, like so small that, you know, they're, you know, they don't even have, you know, they have screenshots of things and they have, you know, their board roster looks like it's like five years old and, and things like that. Um, how do you kind of start to approach these agencies that are like, you know, distant from a far away from a distance and, but, and also maybe less sophisticated and to get them to take you seriously, even though you don't actually reside in the area, but you travel through it. Hmm, that's I don't great, know if that's, that's it's a good that. question. I'm Very good question. Um, I, I, yeah. But do you have something to say, Ray? I've, no, I, I really don't. Yeah, I, I think I, it's a, it's a, it's a tough issue. Um, I think you know. I would certainly, um, uh, if you have, you know, here again, this again, it's local. So you're not local to them. I mean, you may use their services, but you're not local. And so uh, they're not going to listen to you as much as uh, maybe others. I would say if you can identify folks in local areas of some of these agencies Mm. where they're, where they might be able to um, take some of these issues forward that you're concerned about that um, you, uh, you try, that's the only thing I can think of really to try a a different, a, a tough situation. Let me build on that because I think Ray hit on a key point. First off, never give up your own power. You have a right to file your complaints and to make your comments. You always have that right. But politically, as a non-resident, you're probably not in anybody's district who serves on the board. So this is the power, I think, or one of the powers of having an organization like ACB. Find people who are in that area who can who can also raise those issues, but also raise them yourself because at a very minimum, you're creating a record that's public of of your experience and of the problems. And if an agency, and it doesn't matter how big it is or how little it is, it does have legal responsibilities to comply with federal laws. So if they have screenshots of like uh, their directory if it's not digitally accessible, you know you can at you can you can file a complaint about that under under federal law. Um, so I mean I think you you have the ability to have some impact. Uh, so so do that. But uh, but I agree with Ray. Look for people at the local level that can that can speak to those issues as well and try to coordinate your efforts. Time for one more question and then we're going to wrap it up. All right. This is a six. Um, let me. See. Yeah, 609 ending in 890. It's a phone number. You may unmute. New Jersey is New Jersey in the is house. Like. 
this is Phil Harrison from Atlantic County, New Jersey. Uh-huh. Um, I'm on uh, several of these committees. One thing is they don't seem to listen to us. But the question that I have is uh, we have our regular paratransit system that parallels the public bus routes, but um, and they comply with the federal standards uh, sometimes too strictly. But every one of our 21 counties has a county bus system uh, for seniors, 60 and older, and disabled mm-hmm. residents. Uh, They're all totally different. Um, Some will go to nursing homes and assisted living facilities, and some will not. There's one county that refuses to take anyone to dialysis. A lot of the counties have preferences. Uh, Usually it's uh, medical preferences. So they're kind of picking and choosing who they go to and who they don't go to. Uh, Is that a violation of, of ADA, as I say, every one of these county systems, and they're financed by county funds, casino revenue funds, state funds, and they get federal funding usually for their buses. Um, Are they in violation by picking and choosing who and sometimes where they go within the county? (laughs) The short, Uh, oh, go ahead, Ray. I was just going to say, okay, what you need to know about each of these systems, the short answer is, it sounds like they go beyond ADA standards. If that's the case, they are not in violation. Um, they can they can pick and choose and, and do that. Now, if if it's uh, if it was if now under ADA, and I'll just throw this out for information for folks, and that under ADA they can't do that. So if you have a system that's um, you know that, that that you're getting ADA rides. Um, and they're setting priorities. That That's an absolute yeah. no-no. You can't do yeah. that. Yeah, let me just talk about New Jersey specifically. So New Jersey Transit is the designated public transit agency for the state of New Jersey. So the transportation that New Jersey Transit operates through Access Link is required to provide trips, any trip that's within the service area where New Jersey Transit operates buses. And that's probably the service that you were talking about first. These county systems, I'm going to guess, and I don't know for a fact, that those are primarily funded. Those are those are voluntary services over and above the uh, over and above what the ADA requires. Those are not designated public transit agencies. That those are counties. They are probably using uh, federal funds from the era from the uh, uh, Department of uh, Aging. Uh, they're probably using funds from Medica- uh, centers for Medicare and Medicaid, uh, and they're probably using, you, know, you said, some local money. So they're probably not um, covered under ADA requirements because they're not operating public transit. What I would do in that case, because there's still a valuable resource in your community, is I would probably go to the county commission for the county that you're concerned about. And I would raise my questions as local as a local county issue and say, hey, I live in this county. These services are provided with my tax dollars and with federal money that, you know, whatever. I mean, you need to do a little bit of homework. And I think that these services should be more equitable for the rest of us. Um, but you're probably not going to be able to do that under ADA. Um, so that that's a little bit of a tricky one. But that my understanding in New Jersey is that all the counties kind of do their own thing. Uh, and, and they can do it because they are not the designated public transit agency in New Jersey. So 
But even if they are not designated, um, you, you said they don't have to comply with ADA. Nope. They can pick and choose who yes, they, they want can. to serve. And yes, they can. And and if they're operating bus transportation, fixed route, local bus transit, they're under ADA and they can't do it. If they are providing service that is funded by, say, the Area Agency on Aging or Medicaid or somebody else, they absolutely are permitted under law to do what they're doing. So it becomes a local yeah. issue at that point. So we probably have I, to wrap. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're, you're about out of time. Yeah. No, thank you for, thank you. Well, I'll tell you what, it's so funny. It doesn't matter how much time you have. There's always more transportation than there is time to talk about it. So <laughs> Ray, thank you for joining us. I just want to have a couple closing remarks. Um, Real quick, um, I appreciate Ray your time and your expertise, and you know you're a star no at all. in this space. So thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, so just a couple of things: um, we will put out a, a, a some call notes to uh, probably tomorrow or Friday. Those will go out, uh, and we'll put those out. Actually, I'll wait till the podcast is up, and then we'll put those out. And um, you know, we'll cover some of these details. Uh, if you would like to check out resources from Accessible Avenue, including uh, some forms we have for complaints, uh, and also some details about other uh, information that we have available, check us out at accessibleavenue.net. Uh, wait for that the, those call notes, because we'll have some more stuff in there, including uh, some details around ADA requirements uh, and how you can learn more about uh, learning some of the detailed things around how to advocate for transit in your community. And uh, you can always reach out to us at connect at accessibleavenue.net, which is our email address uh, for, for Accessible Avenue. And we're happy to try to help you with questions as well. I want to thank everybody. Again, thank you to Travis. Thank you to Belinda. Uh, Travis for hosting, Belinda for streaming. Thank you to all of you for being here and for your questions. And uh, without further ado, we'll be back in September. Not sure what the topic is yet, so stay tuned for that. Happy advocating. And happy advocating. So uh, everybody, good night, and uh, we are concluded.